What do you think of when you hear the word enemy? Maybe when you hear the word enemy, you think of something like an army and a, a battle and a war, uh, masses of men pitted against one another on the battlefield. They are enemies, right? Enemies in war. Well, that would certainly be an appropriate use of the word, but the word is far more general than that, right? There are enemies of all sorts, not just big armies that meet against one another on fields of battle. There are enemies of all sorts. The, the word for enemy in the Greek is derived from the Greek word ekthos. Uh, it's a derivative. The word for enemy is derivative of ekthos, and the Greek word ekthos means hate. And so enemy is a derivative of the word that means hate. And thus, anyone who is hateful or hostile or opposed to another is an enemy. Okay? Paul used the word enemy in the text that Thomas read for us just a moment ago. In the book of Philippians chapter 3, verse 18 especially, notice, For many walk, of whom I have told you often and now tell you even weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ. We want to build our lesson this morning on the idea of being enemies of Christ. I can't imagine a more horrible designation than that of a person, that such and such a person is an enemy of Christ. Who are the enemies of Christ? We want to try to identify that in our lesson this morning and hopefully learn some things that will help us uh, to be better servants of, of, of our Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for being here this morning. Uh, glad for all who have braved the elements, very cold winter morning in Middle Tennessee, and you've been uh, courageous to step out in it and come together to worship. We commend you for that. We've come here together during this worship period to honor and glorify our God and Creator. Um, this is not a spectator event. You are not here to sit in the place where you're sitting to be entertained during a set amount of time and then go on about your other business the rest of the day. This is not a, an entertainment venue, and you are not spectators in an event this morning. You have come here as worshipers to participate in what we are doing. And what we are doing is to worship God, to honor and glorify Him. And that's our primary purpose, and we, we hope and pray that we can achieve that. We want God to be glorified by what we do. We believe we glorify Him by serving Him, worshiping Him, doing all things just as He has commanded. Therefore, that will be our our purpose, our, our, our uh, pattern for what we do this morning will to be worship God just as he has prescribed in the pages of his inspired word. We hope and pray he will be glorified. But secondary to that, we all want to be encouraged and edified and built up too. And we hope that that's the case as well. We hope we can all leave here uh, feeling that our time was well invested in that way. Thanks for being here this morning. Special uh, thank you to our visitors who have come. Please come back every time you have a chance to be here. There are actually two categories of people that would fall into this description of being enemies of Christ. Some are what we would refer to as the obvious conscience enemies of Christ. These are the vocal, the, the very confessed haters of Jesus. For instance, you remember, she's been dead for a number of years now, but you remember the woman Madeline Murray O'Hare, who was... Uh, probably most, she was an atheist, an avowed atheist. Uh, she was, she was truly a God and Christ hater. She's most famous probably for being the one responsible for having prayer removed from our public schools. 
But in an article she wrote called Atheist Speaks Out, she said, quote, I'd like to close down every blankety-blank church in the country. Well, there's not much subtlety there, is it? I mean, she's very outspoken, very obvious, very direct in what she wanted and intended. And so those are the kind of people, and there are lots of them. Sadly, their numbers are increasing. But there are a lot of people like her that would fall into this category of the obvious and conscious enemies of Christ. Jesus said that the one who is ultimately behind that all is Satan himself. In Matthew chapter 13, verse 39, Jesus told a parable about a man who had a wheat field. Uh, and he planted his wheat. Unbeknownst to him, an enemy came in and sowed a noxious, poisonous weed among the wheat that he had sowed in his field. Uh, so you may remember that parable in Matthew 13, verse 39. But the thing we're drawing attention to this morning is that Jesus said that enemy that sowed the tares is the devil. The ultimate enemy of Christ is Satan himself. But sadly, a lot of people, and as we said, their numbers are increasing, there are a lot of people who are doing his work for him. He's the ultimate enemy of Christ, but he's got a lot of soldiers in his cause. And there are many of these conscious, overt, outward, obvious enemies of Christ in the world today. And we would say of them, like Jesus said in John chapter 8, verse 44, Ye are of your father the devil, and the lust of your father ye will do. And so, again, these people are terrible. Uh, there's more and more of them, we're sad to say. Uh, but at least in regards to these obvious conscious enemies of Christ, we can identify them. We know who they are. We can see them. And we can deal with their challenges. Uh, the high school class right now, we're studying uh, about some of those challenges presented by atheists, you know, uh, and, and what we hope to do for our young people. What all of us need to be uh, ready to do is defend our faith against the attacks of these enemies. Because there are plenty of them out there, and our faith will be attacked. But at least we know who they are. And we know their methods, we know the approach that they will use, and we can counter that, and we can answer that. Now, these are terrible people, for sure, but at least we know who they are. But I want to suggest to you that there's a whole other category of enemies of Christ, and these we would call the unconscious enemies of Christ. Now, here what we're talking about is the people who are not so absolutely obvious Many of the people that we'll describe here are people who even wear the name of Jesus, or at least claim to. Uh, they identify themselves as Christians, but they do lots of things that are truly hurtful to the cause of Christ. Uh, they do damage in real ways. They are enemies of Christ. For instance, some of those would be people like the ones who reject the literal inspiration of the Scriptures. Um, if you read polls, and I usually am looking for different statistics in polls because we always have a section of that in our bulletin each week, but when you, polls are taken, of, again, among those who profess to be Christians, do you believe that the Bible is the literally inspired word of God and can be taken word for word? Usually, half or more of the people who call themselves Christians don't believe that the Bible is the literally inspired word of God. Many of them think that well, it's a pretty good book and the, and the general themes are fine, but actually what we have here is a document that has sort of evolved over time and 
and uh, much of what is in it is the opinion of men, and it can't be taken literally. It's not actually the Word of God. But people who are saying that, many of them uh, are professed Christians. Let me give you an example of, of how these people who identify themselves with Christ but actually oppose the inspired Scriptures. Let me give you just one example of the kind of thing that they do. Here's an example. Do you remember in Matthew chapter 17, a question came up uh, about whether Jesus should pay the temple tax. All the Jews were expected to pay an annual assessment to help maintain the temple in Jerusalem. And they called it simply the temple tax. And some people came to the apostle Peter and said to him, does your master pay the tax? Talking about Jesus, does he pay the tax? And so Peter came and asked Jesus about it, and, and there was a conversation that went back and forth. But finally, Jesus said to Peter, go thou to the sea, cast an hook, and take up the fish that first cometh up. And when thou hast opened his mouth, thou shalt find a piece of money. Take that, that take, and give to them for me and for thee. All right. What we believe here happened was a distinct miracle performed by Jesus himself. But the sort of people that we're talking about who identify as Christian but don't really believe the Bible literally, they always try to explain things like that away. They want to explain that away, that a miracle didn't really happen. For instance, here's, here's a quote taken from William Barclay's Daily Study Bible. Now, I don't know if you've ever heard of that. Probably many of you have. It's well-known and very popular. William Barclay is a, a pretty popular commentator on the Bible, has been. For, uh, this is an, an old work, but still very popular. Notice what he said about this event. He said, if we take it with bald and crude literalism, it means that Jesus told Peter to go and catch a fish and that he would find a stator in the fish's mouth, which would be sufficient to pay the tax for both of them. Notice he says, if we take it in a bald and crude literalism, we'd say that he really meant go catch a fish and you'll find a coin in its mouth. He goes on, what happened was this. Jesus said to Peter, yes, Peter, you're right. We too must pay our just and lawful debts. Well, you know how to do it. Back you go to fishing for a day. You'll get plenty of money in the fish's mouth to pay our dues. A day at the fishing will soon produce all that we need. Jesus was saying, back to your job, Peter. That's the way you pay your debts. So that in, in the same manner, the typist will find a new coat in the keys of her typewriter. The motor mechanic will find food for himself and his wife and family in the cylinder of a motor car. You see what he's saying? He wasn't saying... Peter, you'll actually find a coin in the fish's mouth. No, he's saying, go back and catch some fish and sell them, and you'll make enough money selling them to pay our debts, yours and mine both. And, and Barclay says, basically, that's no different than a typist finding a new coat in the keyboard of her typewriter, or a car mechanic finding food for his family in the cylinder of a, of a car engine. Well, what's William Barclay doing there? He's explaining away the absolute certain miracle that Jesus performed in the matter that we're on, that's under discussion. Do you see that? And so what we're saying is, these people are actually doing great harm to the cause of Christ. People who explain away the miracles, people who reject the literal inspiration of Scripture, those are true enemies of the cause of Christ, and they need to be identified as such. Let me suggest some others. There are some other people who seem good, but refuse to submit to 
That's a typo. They refused to submit to Christ. Good people. Uh, by all estimation, they're good. And if you were to meet such a person, or, or maybe you're in a conversation, you and someone else are talking about this third person. He's just really a good man. He's really a good person. I, you couldn't find a finer man if you wanted to. He's just really nice, friendly, congenial. He's easy to get along with. Uh, uh, he's, he's a law-abiding citizen. He's a good husband and father. I've known him to do nice things for people in need. He's just really a fine individual. Now, i got to admit to you, he's not a Christian, and, and he doesn't go to church, uh, but he's just really a really good person. People who would argue that this fellow is fine in his situation are, are identified with the term moralists. They are moralists. And as long as a person is a good moral individual, then that's really all that matters. But actually, the Scriptures describe someone, even though they are outwardly good, but if they refuse to submit to Christ... The Scriptures identify them as enemies of the Lord. Jesus told a parable in Luke chapter 19. In Luke chapter 19, beginning verse 12, a certain nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and to return. And he called his ten servants, delivered to them ten pounds, said to them, Occupy till I come. But his citizens hated him and sent a message after him, saying, We will not have this man to reign over us. Now, that's a rather long parable. We won't read it all. But notice the, what... The problem here was that these, these servants were refusing to submit to the authority of their master. You know how Jesus identified them at the end of the parable? He says, those enemies of mine, which would not that I should reign over them, bring them hither and slay them before me. Jesus said that those who would not submit were to be considered as enemies uh, because they would not let him reign over them. And so, these people in our world, sadly, these people, many of our own acquaintance, who are good people, they're really good, fine people, they're morally upright people, but if they don't submit to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, Jesus regards them as enemies. That's a sad situation, and that's a desperate case to be in. People need to be aware that's how they are viewed by the Lord. Somebody else that's an enemy of Christ, and these would come from even those within the Lord's church. And there's too many of them, and it happens too often, those within the church who cause division. They're not just causing trouble within the church, but the Lord says uh, that they are his enemies. Uh, in Romans chapter 16, verse 17, it says, I beseech you, brethren, notice, mark them which cause division." Mark those which cause division and offenses contrary to the doctrine which ye have heard and avoid them. Now, who are these people? And, and why are they causing division? He says, for they that are such serve not our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly and by good words and fair speeches deceive the hearts of the simple. So, they're causing division. And the problem is that they're not really serving the Lord. They're actually enemies of the Lord. Can you picture how these individuals would do their work? Sometimes they say it overtly. Many times they demonstrate it by their actions. I want what I want. I'll have my way or else. I don't care if there is trouble or harm. I want to push my agenda. I want what I want. 
I can and I will do this or that, causing division. Sad when division was within the body of Christ. But Jesus said that those who are promoting that divisions are actually enemies. Uh, we need to really understand that, uh, not to be taken lightly. You know, sometimes I'm afraid that members of the church take the idea of division as something that's not significantly important. Uh, and, and, and sometimes Christians act out and do and say things that promote division within the body of Christ. And they apparently think that this is not a serious matter. I want to suggest to you it's extremely serious. Do you want to be identified as an enemy of Christ? Causing division puts you in those ranks. That's a serious thing for all of us to think about. Somebody else that's an enemy of the cause of Christ. Again, we talked about those who were the obvious and conscious enemies of Christ, like Madeline Murray O'Hara and atheists and skeptics and all of those. Those are the obvious ones. But there are some who are unconscious, not so obvious enemies of Christ. And among those would be those that we would identify as lukewarm Christians. There are way too many people who think that as long as they wear the name and as long as they have some nominal association with the church, then that's all that matters. Everything is good. All is fine. But the Scriptures tell us otherwise. It's not enough just to wear the name or to be nominally associated with the church because many who are in that category are among the lukewarm that are described in Revelation chapter 3, verse 15 and 16. I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would thou work cold or hot. So then, because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. You've got to be impressed here with Jesus' very graphic statement, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Uh, the idea of that suggests that those who are in this category of lukewarm Christians are just absolutely repulsive to the Lord. I will spew thee out of my mouth. That's not a situation that we want to be in. And for all who are lukewarm Christians, understand that you're at odds with the Lord. Finally, enemies of Christ include those who depart from the faith. And again, sadly, that happens. We, and we know people, we all know people, uh, close friends, family members, and others who have departed the faith. Do you suppose that the people who fall away, do you suppose that they really know how the Lord views them? Would they take that step if they really understood how they are viewed by the Lord when they depart from the faith? I think sometimes they just think, well, they're rejecting the church or maybe they're rejecting the people in the church. I don't like that church anymore. I don't like the people in that church anymore. I'm not going anymore sort of thing. I, I, I'm thinking that must be the mindset of some people. What they're not realizing is that they're not just rejecting the church and the people, but they're rejecting the Lord himself, and the Lord views them as enemies when they do that. Let me give you an example. And the example that we want to draw here is of this man, Demas. I want to reference three comments made about him. In the book of Philemon, verse 23, beginning, there salute the Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, Marcus, Aristarchus, Demas, Lucas, my fellow laborers. And so here, 
Demas is named among those who receive high marks from the Apostle Paul. This Epaphras, he called his fellow prisoner, but these others, Marcus, Aristarchus, Demas, Lucas, he called them fellow laborers. I'll tell you, that'd, that'd be some fine company to be in as a Christian, to be a fellow laborer with the Apostle Paul. And Demas is named there among fellow laborers. But in another comment in Colossians chapter 4 about Demas, and this would have been written in, in close to the same time period. I don't think much time had transpired. This, these were written in almost the same time period. Book of Colossians. Demas is mentioned again, beginning verse 12. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ, saluteth you, always laboring fervently for you. Luke, the beloved physician, and Demas greet you. Well, here's kind of different. Epaphras, he's given high praise. He's a servant of Christ. He labors fervently for you. Paul's certainly heaping praise on Epaphras. Luke, Luke, you know Luke, he's the beloved physician, right? But just Demas. No comment, positive or negative, sort of a neutral reference to Demas. He praised Epaphras and Luke, but he just mentioned Demas. Are we seeing some decline here in regards to Demas? But probably the most famous reference to Demas is in 2 Timothy 4, verse 9. Do thy diligence to come shortly unto me, for Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world. I'm not saying that we could prove it, but I wonder if we're seeing sort of a, a decline here in these references to Demas, that he went from a fellow laborer of Paul to one that Paul just mentioned to finally one that Paul says he's forsaken me. What's his problem? He has loved this present world. Well, if you love the present world, where does that put you? In James chapter 4, verse 4, Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with Christ. Whosoever there will be a friend of the world is the enemy of Christ. So if you back up to, to read about Demas having loved the present world, what would that say about Demas? Well, that would say he is the enemy of God, right? And so here's a guy who had once have been very strong and faithful in service to the Lord, and now he has departed and put himself in the horrible situation of being an enemy of the Lord. Enemies of Christ. Some are obvious. Some are not so obvious. These do a lot of damage. But I'll tell you, these people here that we've just been describing, they do a lot of damage to the cause of Christ as well. And in many respects, I would argue they may even be more dangerous and do greater harm. We don't want to be enemies of Christ. What's your situation this morning? Is it possible that you are actually in an enemy relationship with Christ, but maybe you haven't realized that? And you haven't really, you're not really grasping the gravity of your spiritual situation? What if you've never obeyed the gospel? One of those that we talked about is people who don't ever really submit to the will of Christ and obey Him. If you don't submit to the Lord, the Lord regards you as His enemy. If you're in that category this morning, you believe in Jesus, you're maybe a good moral person, great. But if you don't actually do what the Lord commands you to do, you're not on right terms with Him. You've never obeyed the gospel, that simple gospel plan of salvation. Hear, believe, repent, confess, be baptized. If you've never done that, we urge you to make that decision without delay. If we can help, we're anxious to do so. If we can study with you more, we want to do that. Let us know how we can help.
uh, you in your situation. Speaking to those who are already a Christian, did you notice that it's possible to become an enemy of Christ? You're a Christian, but you've not been faithful to him, maybe like Demas, and you put yourself in this adversarial role with Christ. You don't want to be there. And if it's the case that you as a Christian have fallen away and not been faithful to the Lord, we beg you to come back in repentance, confession, and prayer. It's so important. If we can help in any way, let us know while we stand and sing.